Well, hey, uh, yeah, welcome to Summit. I, I was pleasantly surprised, not surprised that much, but the past couple of days, it actually starting to feel like fall. So uh, for, for a guy who loves uh, fresh cut grass and 60 degree weather and football, this is starting to feel like, yeah, now we're, now we're uh, getting out of the, the, uh, all the heat. So I'm ex- excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, I think that when we come to a text like, Romans 9 to 11, how many, well, let me, I'm just going to take a little poll here. By show of hands, how many of y'all when, uh, just generally in your life, when you come or hear about Romans 9 to 11, you're typically like, uh, maybe I'm just going to like skip this part. How many, how many of y'all would say that? Come on, be honest. All right. All right. There you go. Sweet. Yeah, good. How many of y'all have no idea about Romans 9 to 11? <laughs> More hands should go up, right? <laughs> um, look, I think when you come to a text, uh, there's, there's uh, actually quite a few uh, pastors just around the, the country and the world who uh, tend to stay away from this text. I mean, it's just a, it can feel like a landmine of things that, that uh, we'd rather just avoid. But um, in fact, some, some people are known for, hey, let's preach all the way to Romans 8 and then like have Christmas or something and then we'll come back and just jump right into 12, you know, and uh, just skip that, skip this section. And I, I think it's a real, uh, I think it's real unfortunate that that's the case because this is a really beautiful text. Um, it's, it's, uh, it can be difficult to interpret, but we're going to walk through some of that this morning. And, and uh, I think that when we come to the text, though, we have to um, ask the right questions. So Aristotle said in Metaphysics, he said, those who wish to succeed have to ask the right preliminary questions. So a lot of times when we come to a text like this, we come to it with our kind of post-enlightenment, 21st century American uh, Western rationalism. And we're asking the question um, from a philosophical standpoint, um, does God elect people apart from their uh, meaningful choice to choose him or not to choose him. A lot of times this is called double or uh, double predestination. Um, the, the big theological word for it is called supralapsarianism. So y'all can like go back and listen to that and then go ch- tell your friends and s- at least you sound smart, right? Um, that, that's like, um, <clears throat> but it's, it's kind of that idea that, well, God has chosen this person and has not chosen this person before the dawning of time. That was the case. And so when he created everything, you're just either damned or not damned. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it, right? Um, is, is kind of the way that, that, uh, that, that's a total oversimplification, but um, just generally uh, the idea. And, and a lot of times when we come to Romans 9, that's what we're thinking when we come to the text. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not what Paul is thinking. Um, Paul is thinking something totally different. And so a lot of times we get into trouble because we're coming to a text and we're asking a series of questions of the text that the text is not trying to answer. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's, man, I, I don't care who you are, what time period you live in. If you do that with anybody, just a regular conversation with somebody, if you answer someone um, in a way that totally ignores what they're trying to communicate to you, then that's a problem. And so um, when, when we come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, we have to ask the questions that Paul is asking. 
um, we have to look for the answers to the questions that are actually being addressed. And so what are those questions? What are the questions that he's answering? And the first one, again, uh, you guys have been studying through, if you were here um, in the spring, going through one through, what do we make it through? One through eight or one through seven, something like that. Uh, one through seven. We, we got through one through seven and, and you saw all of the like, hey, God is establishing the fact that everybody has sinned against God, and, but that he has um, saved, um, the, that he has saved everyone. And in that saving process, when you get to Romans nine and you realize that actually Israel, this, this nation that God had elected to carry the seed of his Messiah has actually rejected that Messiah. And Paul, as a good Jew, is asking the question, well, has the word of God failed? Like, is this, is this kind of like God's plan B? <clears throat> and that's a really good question for people who are sitting there going, wait a second, I thought we were like sons of the promise. And now you're telling us that we're out? Um, now, that's the question they're asking. All right, so we have to ask that question. Has the word of God failed? <clears throat> Second, is righteousness through faith or through works? So you have this idea of the, in the Old Testament of this covenant keeping God who makes a covenant with his people. And in that covenant, he's like, hey, you have responsibility here. I'm, I'm making a covenant with you and I have responsibility that I will keep. And you also have responsibility that you need to keep. Well, that got watered down into something that it was never intended to be. And that is, hey, in order for this to work, we have to keep everything like to the letter of the law and that the righteousness that we gain from God is not a gift from him. It's, it's by works that we do to uphold the covenant. And, and God is ultimately saying, no, that's not ever what it was supposed to be. Um, and then lastly, um, has God rejected Israel? Can they be saved? So again, you have the Abrahamic covenant. You have God making a covenant with Abraham. He's like, hey, you know, you're, you, through you, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna give you land. I'm, I'm gonna bless your seed. Um, I, I'm going to uh, make you uh, the father of many nations to where you, you cover, your seed is gonna cover the whole earth. And, and through you am going to save the world. And yet, and yet they're in, an, in a situation where they've rejected the Messiah and now they seem to be rejected by God. And so they're asking the question, well, I mean, what, what ultimately is going to happen to us? That's the question that they're asking. And so when we move through this, we have to ask those questions. We can't immediately come to the text and be like, well, did God choose me or do I have a choice in all of this? Or Because that's not what he's trying to address. Okay, now, <clears throat> I think we can wrestle with that. Um, you guys can wrestle with it. I'm not gonna wrestle with it this morning. Um, there's a bunch of different views about that. Um, so I'll just touch on them really quickly and then we'll move on. But you have the one that I, that I mentioned, which is um, uh, the kind of double unconditional predestination, which is where God says, I'm gonna choose you, I'm gonna reject you, and you don't, have anything to say about that generally, right? Then you have um, what's known as <clears throat> um, just regular, um, like single predestination, which is where the Lord says, hey, um, I'm going to choose you, not because of what you're doing, but because of my grace alone. And I'm gonna pass over or passively 
um, allow you to go your own way by your own choice, okay? Then there's a couple of other different views. Uh, there's the libertarian view, which, which says, hey, um, God has offered everything to us, but by our choice, we either come or, um, or choose to reject. And typically in those camps, people emphasize the fact that, or the, the uh, people emphasize the view that um, people can either enter into the kingdom on their own or be rejected by God. And so it's, it's, it's a kind of, this typically is known as uh, classical Arminianism. And then you have views like open theism. Um, you have a very, you, have just, you just have a bunch of different things. All of those things um, fit under what is uh, orthodox Christianity. So that's, a, this is, that's like an intramural type conversation that we have. And it should, never break, it should never cause us to break fellowship with one another. So I'll just say that and leave it there. And then we'll move, move through the text. If you have questions, I was going to say email me, but <laughs> yeah, email me. That's fine. Um, or email greatquestions at watermark.org. We have a whole team of guys that can, that can answer it. So let's get to the first question. What's Paul addressing? Paul, Paul is addressing the fact that um, ethnic Israel has been elected to carry the seed of Christ, but ethnicity doesn't guarantee salvation. And that's what, ever, that's what these guys were thinking. So in Romans 9, at the very beginning... <clears throat> of the chapter, he says, um, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. And he goes through this whole, like, I wish that, I wish that my brothers were not cursed and cut off from Christ. Um, and, and then he asks in, in verse six, it's not as though God's word had failed for not everyone who is descended from Israel is Israel. What the heck? What are you talking about, you know? Not everyone who's descended from Israel is Israel. So he is drawing a distinction between ethnic Israel and the remnant that is a subcategory of ethnic Israel who has accepted the Messiah. So just because somebody is an ethnic Jew does not necessarily mean that they're in Christ. Ethnicity never is the is the, the thing that causes someone to become a Christian. Ethnicity, um, as Paul would argue, is something that um, can get you into the, uh, have you born into the people group who's been given the law and the mysteries of Christ and given the proximity to God, right? But just because you're born an ethnic Jew doesn't mean that you are in the camp, so to speak. And, and he goes, not, nor because of this are his descendants, nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So ethnicity does not guarantee salvation. I think too, we, as we come to this, we've got to be like, well, what, what is God's purpose? Why? Why is he acting the way that he's acting in all of this? Because a lot of times, especially if you focus on, the, on kind of the election question um, from a standpoint of foreknowledge and, and uh, um, choice, you focus on, again, uh, if, if, the, if you land, depending on where you land, can, paint, can tend to paint God in certain uh, colors that are not representative or they fail to take into account the, all of what's going on in scripture. So in Isaiah 19, there's this really interesting passage. 
I'm just going to read it real quick. And, uh, and then obviously there's the rest of those as well. You can uh, go check them out later. But God's purpose was always to save the whole world. It says, starting in verse 19 of Isaiah 19, in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at, at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third. Along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, blessed be Egypt, my people. Assyria, my handiwork and Israel, my inheritance. You're reading that as a Jew and you're like, what? Egypt, my people? The people that enslaved us? Assyria, your handiwork? The people who came, who came down in a series of campaigns and totally wiped out our country? That Assyria? Yeah. Egypt is his people. Assyria is his handiwork. Israel is third, my inheritance. So, so when, we, when we come to these texts, we have to acknowledge the full corpus of Scripture that, that, God, is, that God didn't pick Israel and be like, okay, y'all are, are my chosen people, and now I'm, I'm just going like, to protect you and save you and not everybody else. No, the reason that God chose Israel was so that Israel could carry the seed of Christ, not so that Israel would be this blessed nation above everybody else. No, so that they could become the people by whom the rest of the world would be saved. God was never just about saving Israel. God was always about saving the whole world. Everybody. Which is why you have these instances um, in, uh, in other places where, where God's like, hey, the, the, this is my will that the entire world be saved. That's what I'm looking for. So we have to, as we read this, we have to remember these baseline principles about the character and nature of God. But... And this is a crucial point for our text. Um, God can use people's rejection for his purposes. So did y'all know there's like no less than a dozen references to the Old Testament in Romans 9? Did y'all know that? I mean, if you read your Bible, you see like all the, like a, if, it's, if it's italicized or something like that, there's, these, there's all these references to the Old Testament. And you're like, what is going on? And <clears throat> I mean, I think one of the biggest ones is in Jeremiah 18. Because um, he references this whole idea of the potter and, and the potter's wheel. So I'm going to read this passage real quick and we're going to drive on. Uh, this is Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Um, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay, 
So he has, this, he has this lump of clay and he takes some clay out and he's shaping a pot, right? The pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If, conditional statement, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent. Same word, I will repent, right? I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if, evil, and, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I intended to do for it. So you have this idea where there's this lump of clay and the potter pulls out some clay and he's shaping it into what he wants it to be and it goes bad in his hands. And he's like, well, I can't use that anymore except for something else. So he uses it for common purposes, right? Because it went bad in his hands. He takes another lump, he takes another lump of clay out of that, out of his lump and shapes it and it, and it, and it cooperates with him and it turns into a vessel of glory. Here, here, look guys, this is the main principle for, for all of this. God can and he will use people's uh, acceptance or rejection for his purposes. So like with Pharaoh, with, with uh, um, this happens a bunch. I mean, First Kings 22 with Ahaz, um, uh, the, all of the, the judges, um, there's, there's a bunch of different places, Saul, there's a bunch of different places in the Old Testament where God has set something in, in motion and people re reject him, they rebel against him. And he's like, I had intended this for you, but now it's this. And whatever you send me, whether it's um, cooperation or rejection, I'm gonna use it either way. Are you tracking with me? That is the message of the Old Testament. And, and oh, by the way, there's all these passages, um, <clears throat> like, like uh, point four here, there's all these passages where the Lord is saying, hey, I don't want you to perish. I don't delight in the death of the wicked, but that you would turn and repent and come back to me. That's the message that, that the Old Testament is showing about the character and nature of God is his, his electing activity, it's not arbitrary. It's not like, well, you and not you, eh, you and not you. We never see that ever in scripture. So if we're gonna read Romans 9, we have to read it through the context of someone who understands deeply the Old Testament. Um, so again, um, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 3, 9, 1 Timothy 2, 4, Romans 2, 4 to 5, which is interesting because in the book of, uh, in Romans, which is what we're studying, in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the people there, um, the active word there is, is you are, um, storing up wrath for yourself. And then in Romans 9, we have this passive, might be middle, middle passive, maybe, um, but people are being uh, prepared for destruction. But we have to keep that intention with the, uh, what we see in Romans 2, which is, and also these people are storing up wrath for themselves. So it's not a single thing done to people, it's a both and. Are you tracking with me? That's, that's what we see in scripture. So has the word of God failed? And I think the, the answer is no. Um, you've rejected God, 
but he's going to use your rejection and his purpose and his um, uh, history of salvation to save the world, which is, was always his point. <clears throat> so then secondly, is righteousness through faith or works? And the, the questions here are, <clears throat> Israel's pursuit of righteousness through the law is futile. He's, and what he's communicating is, hey guys, you can't, um, you can't expect for you to try to work for this and that your works would be good enough that God would save you. I mean, look, if you guys haven't figured that out by now, or if that doesn't communicate clearly by now, I don't know what to do. You know, it's, it's like, you, look, you cannot work. Your works don't produce the, the type of righteousness that can actually reunite and reconcile you with God. So they, in, in their effort to do so is futile. Secondly, righteousness doesn't come through your works. It comes through faith in Christ, who, check this out, it's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, right? Um, Romans 10, 4. <clears throat> says this. Well, let me, let me back it up because, I mean, you got to have some context, right? <clears throat> he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So for, for Paul, who's communicating to a people about their relationship to the law, he's ultimately saying Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, you, you could not ever do this. Christ had to do it for you. And in him fulfilling the law, he has revealed and shown that um, he is the righteousness of God. And that through being in him, the righteousness of God is imputed to you. And then as we've covered already, Israel was given Christ, but it rejected him. So this is where Paul goes on this, this kind of, uh, yeah, it's, <clears throat> it, he, he goes through this section where he's like, hey, I, I, I gave you all of this. I, I, I don't know what else to do to pursue you and you um, rejected me. Like verse 16, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Um, did they not hear? Of course they did. And he, and he goes on. I, I mean, I think verse, verse 21 is, is really interesting too, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So the interesting thing about all this is a lot of times we're like, well, did God choose? Did God choose or not choose me? And that's typically the way people come to this passage. And I think what we're seeing here is, is what we're seeing is the, the loving kindness and the patience of God. Who's like, actually, I like held out an invitation to you for like thousands of years <laughs> and was patient with you. And you still are obstinate and rejecting me. And so because of your rejection, I'm grafting you out so that I'm using this to bring other people to graft them in. And that's where the good news gets really good for us, right? Um, and that is, um, this is this whole idea of grafting in and grafting out. Has God rejected Israel? Can they be saved? I mean, this is where, you know, like in Romans 9, when they're like, well, why did God make me like this? And what they're, what they're, that question, the, the force behind that question is, hey, God chose us, and now you're telling us that we're, that we're grafted out? 
Why would he do that? Why did he make us like this? And, and I think the clear answer um, from, from the rest of this section is because you chose to leave. The hand of God has been out, stretched to you, but you're obstinate and you're rejecting him. And so now, now that clay that he was forming has gone bad. And so he's like, ah, now I'm gonna use it for a different purpose. And I'm gonna shape to where now I'm, I'm going to break out and um, reach out to the Gentiles. So in chapter 11, verse five, has God rejected Israel? Um, and, and I think what the Lord is saying, is like, no, there, there's a remnant that remains. Out of this marred clay that went bad in my hands, there's part, there is a part of this that I can reshape for my glory. They are going to cooperate with me. Um, and, and that's what we see. Um, so... <clears throat> It's what's, what's really crazy in verse seven is that now um, he says, what then when Israel sought to have so, or what Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. And now you, cause so you see in Romans nine where, where Yahweh is like, hey, um, Pharaoh, I used Pharaoh and hardened him for this purpose. But again, don't think of it like, don't think of Pharaoh as like this saint that God is like, forcing to do something that is against his will. Pharaoh's cooperating with Yahweh, right? He's the, uh, there's a hardened, there's a double hardening there. And so Pharaoh goes bad in the Lord's hands and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna raise you up now to use you for this purpose. What's crazy about that is that Israel, the enemy of Pharaoh, right? Actually ends up in the same boat that Pharaoh is in. That's ironic, right? Well, you went bad in my hands. And so now, just like in Isaiah 19, we saw, he's like, I'm gonna strike Egypt, but I will heal her. I'm gonna strike Israel, but I'm going to heal her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna strike this, but I'm going to heal. And that's what we see Yahweh doing. The interesting thing about all this too is pay attention to all of the conditional statements in this passage. I mean, I mean we have actually, um, it's really clear <clears throat> um, in, in Romans uh, 11 that, um, that they, in verse 20, branches were broken off, right? Hardening happens, they break off so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. But in verse 20, we have the explanation of why they were broken off. They were broken off because of what? Unbelief. Not, I broke them off and they didn't have any choice in it, right? It's a conditional statement. This happened because of their unbelief. And then another statement, um, provided that they repent. It sounds like Jeremiah 18, doesn't it? I'm, I've, I have this plan that I'm going to use you for this purpose, but if you repent, then I'll, then I'll restore you. Um, I've, I've got this purpose for you, for your glory, but if you rebel against me, you're gonna go bad. <clears throat> if they do not persist in unbelief is another conditional statement. You know, for, so for the person who holds to a really hard kind of double predestination viewpoint in this passage, I think from my standpoint, I'm like, hey, like I get that, but also you need to wrestle with the, all of the conditional statements in a passage where from that viewpoint seems to be very fixed. And it's just not. 
God, again, sovereignly using Israel's rejection of him, verses 11 through 16. Um, people who are broken off and grafted in. So, so in this, again, the Israel is broken off. The Gentiles are grafted in. Um, and, and Paul makes the argument, look, hey, if, if the olive branch is broken off from the olive tree and a wild root is grafted into it, how easily would the actual natural olive branch be grafted back into the olive vine if it repents? And, and uh, I think that the, the point is taken is like, well, a lot easier. And if their rejection of Yahweh is salvation for the world, what would their acceptance of him be? These are, these are the arguments that, that Paul is making. And then lastly, all Israel will ultimately be saved. Again, if, if there's, sometimes you'll hear these viewpoints about, oh, God's gonna save all of Israel, like ethnic Israel. Paul's already removed that for us. Ethnicity does not mean, does not equal salvation. Right? Just because you're an ethnic Jew does not mean you're automatically saved. That's a different gospel, right? One that needs to be accursed because it's salvation apart from Christ based on ethnicity. And that's racism at its greatest, right? Um, no, no. That's not what he's arguing. He's saying, no, there is a people, um, there is a remnant of ethnic Israel who is going to um, turn back to Christ and recognize that, oh, actually, this is the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they are going to turn back to him and be grafted back in. And so Paul's argument is, no, God hasn't, God hasn't forgotten Israel there, there is a future for these people. Um, I'm using their hardening. I'm using their rejection of me in order to push forward my, my salvation program. But ultimately, this remnant of people who are going to turn back to me will ultimately be saved. And those are the elect. That's Romans 9 to 11. Okay? So, it's a, I mean, this is a really, like I said, you know, to start off with, this is a really beautiful passage that, that shows ultimately, and this is the challenge to you guys this morning, is I think you've got to think about, <clears throat> you've got to think about, hey, um, what am I doing in my life right now that is cooperating with God so that, I'm, so that I'm a useful tool in his hands? And what am I doing right now that is fighting him? Because I promise you, he's using all of the raw data that we send him every day for his purposes. The question, is not, um, the question is not, hey, do I get in heaven or out of heaven or whatever? The question is, hey, what are you missing out on if you fight him? Because ultimately, if, you're, um, if you fight him, then he is going to use your fighting both to sanctify you, right? And also to make an example out of you. That's what he does. That's why at the end of this chapter, you know, uh, Paul warns us, you know, behold, both the, uh, <clears throat> what does he say? Hang on. Oh, I'm missing it. Well, sorry. He says, he says uh, what, yo, somebody help me out. Both the kindness and the, the, the what? Severity. severity. Yeah, that's the word. So, thank you. So he's, he's, like, he's like, hey, both the severity and the kindness of God. And those are things that are not mutually exclusive from one another. Okay, so my, look, my challenge to you guys this morning is y'all, 
head to your groups as one, have a, have a fun discussion, right? Um, try to keep it in bounds, right? Don't, don't eh, choke each other out. I mean, if you want to, that'd be kind of awesome, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> but, but, uh, but secondly is, is, look, I think that when I come to this passage, um, I think the warnings in here about the clay that is not cooperating with the potter, um, man, those, those things need to be heated. And so I think if there are areas of your life where you're fighting against God, just know he's sovereign. He'll use everything at his disposal to push forward his salvation program. And, uh, and I would just encourage you, man, man, be a part of it. Be a part of, be a part of it um, moving forward to, to be a blessing um, and not an example. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for these guys waking up early and coming and, and uh, tackling a hard passage. And uh, I just pray that uh, we continue to wrestle with the tensions here and know that uh, it is very, well, it's impossible to put you in a box. And, and so uh, help us to be good students of Scripture and that we would take it and um, move um, toward you and not away. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.